0: Hey everybody, Fran Fischella here, and welcome to World of Basketball, the podcast that shrinks the basketball globe for you, takes you takes you to every corner of the basketball universe. And uh, as you know, if you've listened to us now for two years, it's could be NBA, could be international players, college players, coaches, executives. We try to just shrink the globe for you and help educate you about. Guys that you probably know of, have heard of, and don't know much about their story. And today we've got uh, another great story, um, and we'll bring that to you shortly. Uh, but just a just a little quick heads up. Uh, uh, as we speak this week and record, Oscar Shibwe from the Democratic Republic of the Congo did something at Kentucky that has not been done in 46 years. Uh, he grabbed 21 22 rebounds last night, first 2020 game uh, for Kentucky in, in nearly 50 years. And uh, a little heads up, we're going to have Oscar on as our special guest next week on World of Basketball. We can't rate, wait to bring you that. He's just an incredible young man. And you'll be really impressed. Um, you know, ab- about 10 or 12 years ago, I was doing a Iowa State game. And I'm it, Melvin Edgem is, was a star at Iowa state. He's still playing overseas and Mel is from Toronto. And, uh, qu- shortly after that, uh, playing for Freddie Hoiberg, uh, uh, Nazmi true long had a really good career at Iowa state. And I remember a broadcast. I said, I said to my partner, I said, you know, within a decade, Toronto is going to have the best high school basketball, uh, in North America, if not the best, certainly in the same realm as some of the major cities that we're used to in the states—New York, Chicago, L.A., etc., uh, Dallas, Fort Worth—and um, I didn't realize how prescient that prediction would be, because Toronto now produces as much great high school talent as really anywhere in North America. That that proved to be true, and uh, you know, R.J. Barrett, obviously uh, one of the poster chi- children. Uh, Andrew Wiggins is starring in the NBA now, and every year in college, there's got to be over a hundred kids from Canada and primarily from Toronto. And the reason that is, is is, and I've asked many of my Canadian coaching basketball friends about this. Um, Canada Canada has a, a very liberal immigration policy. Uh, there are quite a few immigrants from the from the Caribbean, from Africa. Um, and, and genetically, many of these young people are, are excellent athletes or p- the p- potential to be great athletes. And so that's a starting point. Um, you know, the immigration process uh, has brought a lot, a lot of um, families to Canada that uh, are predis- predispos- predisposed. predisposed, thank you, Mr. Ty- Mr. Producer Chris Tyler, <laughs> um, to, be, to be good athletes. Um, I also asked, um about the history of basketball and i thought well steve nash two-time mvp that that was the main reason why basketball is becoming so popular and many of my friends said we love steve steve's the ambassador for basketball in canada but actually vince carter and the raptors franchise probably had as much to do if not more because when vince arrived in toronto and you know just a great young player um he just you know, captivated, you know, the basketball, you know, the population. And so that was a big, big reason was just the the rise of the Raptors and, 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 uh, and Vince Carter. And then the last reason I got, and there's others obviously, but many of the young people who came to the States in the nineties to play college basketball, really this influx of kids that came to college, many of them now are back in Toronto and they're coaching, um, you know, they there. It's now it's second generation players coming up out of the system being coached by the many of the players from that first generation. And so it's really a, an incredible um, confluence of events. And so uh, just my little two cents on Canadian hoop. Now, as you know, if you've listened, we've had uh, Kelly Alinek and Kevin Pangos on. Uh, we, we started the year with Andrew Nemhard, who's the starting point guard for the uh, uh, you know, Gonzaga, who's one of the uh, top couple teams in America. Uh, so we brought you a Canadian guest. Today, we have a very unique, special young man, uh, Zach Eadie. Uh, Zach is now currently starring for Purdue. Um, he's a late bloomer. Uh, he was a baseball player and a hockey player, as is, uh, as is the case many times in, in Toronto. And, but Z- Zach's unique because he's now seven feet three and he's 19 years old. And he's becoming a truly great basketball player. And we're going to hear his story today. It's an amazing story of, uh, being discovered in Toronto, uh, by a guy named, uh, Vidal Messiah who played at St. Bonaventure again, you know, first generation Canadian now giving back. He's got many players playing in college. Um, he was sent to IMG Academy down in Southwest Florida with, which is producing uh, terrific college and NBA talent, uh, He honed his skills there. It took him a while. Matt Painter uh, brought him to Purdue where they've had great success over the last decade with big, big players, Isaac Haas, uh, Travion Williams, AJ Hammonds, Caleb Swanigan. And um, so Purdue took a chance on Zach and really the rest is history. And so we're going to bring you this incredible, uh, uh, you know, 30 minutes with Zach this morning and Mike DeCourcy. Uh, My good friend from the Sporting News, Big Ten uh, basketball expert, will also chime in at the very end and give you his insight on what makes SAC so special. Remember, if you like what we're doing, subscribe uh, wherever you get your podcasts, Apple, Spotify, the others, and also download the SXM app where you can get all of our content, all of our previous shows, over 70 now, and you can really uh, hone in, on all the great content that Sirius offers in the sports world, culture, music, politics, et cetera. So we, uh, we love bringing these to you every week. And uh, I think you're going to especially enjoy and get to know um, uh, this special young man, Purdue universities and Can- and Canada's own Zach Eady. Zach, pleasure to have you on world of basketball today.
1: Pleasure to be here. Thanks for having me. Thanks.
0: All right. Uh, first i I know a lot about your background. I know a lot of people up in uh, you know in 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 the city of Toronto and they they talk about your development. but let me ask you this: if you go back four or five years uh ago could did you envision the kind of success you're having
1: uh honestly no um, yeah. I out to high school uh, I didn't know what my college experience really was going to be like at all. I wasn't sure what type of role I'd have at Purdue because coach Painter is a very honest guy. He's not going to promise you anything that, um, he does, he won't be able to deliver. So he, when you come in, obviously he wasn't sure. He was honest. Like he wasn't sure if I was going to redshirt. He wasn't sure if I was going to play at all. Uh, Matt harms left. but He wasn't sure like what my role would really be uh, going into that year. Um, and he wasn't going to make any false promises. So I had no idea what my first year of college was going to be like, uh, it ended up going pretty well. And I, I liked it, but, um, Intimate take the jump that I have this year. I uh, honestly kind of just it keeps happening. I'm not like it's hard to like expect stuff like that. You know what I mean? Like it's
0: yeah, yeah.
1: One like hope for it and just work for it and like try to try your best and try to do everything you can to like make it happen. But
0: yeah, I, I want to get into all of your development going back to your days as a, as a youngster in Toronto. But even now, when you're on the court at, at Mackey Arena, do you do stuff that surprises yourself?
1: honestly, sometimes it's weird. Like, um, I feel like sometimes my body, it almost goes into like, like sometimes like off pilot mode. Sometimes I, I, do, I make some moves or I'll do some things. I kind of like, yeah, I wasn't like expecting, I wasn't planning to do that. It just kind of happened. Yeah.
0: Well, we both know a lot of hard work's gone into that. So it's not just by accident. We know that. All right. So you're growing up in Toronto. Obviously you're a kid in Toronto, uh, you probably played a little hockey. I know you played baseball and some basketball. Were you I, I gotta know this because I talked about this on the year. You were a 6'11 first baseman.
1: Yeah, I was.
0: And so obviously you're a pretty good target, but did, how much I mean, tell me about that. I mean, how'd you get how'd you get on a, on a baseball diamond?
1: Um, so I first started playing when I was pretty young. Up, I'd say around like seven or eight. Um I started playing some baseball just kind of for fun, kind of to keep, uh, my parents wanted to keep me keep busy in summer. Uh, and they both played softball, so they kind of knew a little bit about baseball so they could help me a little bit. Uh, but they loved it. They supported it. They always kind of pushed me to play uh, as much sports as possible, really, from a young age. And so I would have hockey in the winter, then i have baseball in the summer. So it kind of, it was a nice little schedule to keep me occupied. Um, and then I kind of just kept playing. I didn't really think of it like Oh, I'm like, like now that I play basketball. I think it's like, yeah, that's kind of crazy. I was a 6'11 first baseman. But, like, back then, I was like, oh, yeah, it's pretty cool. I'm, I'm tall. I play baseball. Like, that's pretty cool. But
0: Well, you I mean, grew never, into it too, right? You, you weren't a 6'11, 7-year-old, so you were playing baseball before you started to grow.
1: Yeah. I, I almost think I grew the sport of baseball a little bit. Um, once I went, about, I think I went from 6'6 to about 6'10 in like one summer and that kind of, that really messed up. Um, like a lot of my swinging, a lot of my strike zones and stuff like that. Like it gets, it gets really hard to play baseball when you're super tall. So there's not many people that can do it. Um, and I think I kind of grew the sport a little bit.
0: Yeah, well you did. You did. Because you're a heck of a basketball player. All right. I've seen little videos of you shooting in a gym in Toronto. Obviously you're kind of a late bloomer uh, and, to, then you end up going down to IMG Academy, and I think you played for a guy that I actually coached and recruited a long time ago by the name of John Rhodes. Uh
2: huh.
0: That's my guy. You know, I've known John since he was a high school junior, and uh, and I know those the people at IMG Academy had a lot to do with you. Let's talk about leaving Toronto uh, because you got uh, by your by, as I recall, you started to get good enough where people in Toronto that were around you saw some potential in you. So take me to how you leave home and go to IMG Academy. You, you know, you're leaving your mom and dad. how did that all work out?
1: Yeah. So, um, kind of like the first year I started playing basketball, uh, I just kind of played in a little rec league and I started playing for my school. And, um, from that school, we went to some tournament and, um, there was an AAU coach called, a Vidal Messiah, his son actually saw me play.
0: Sure.
1: I know. Um, yeah. And his son told his dad about me. Um, So his dad, like he gave me, I remember his son came up to me and was like, uh, can I get your number? My dad's like a really big coach in the area. Uh, I'll get you in contact with him. And I, I was like, kind of at the time I was like, all right, whatever, like here, take my number, but I'm not really going to take this too seriously. I remember he texted me like the next day. And I kind of just didn't want to respond because I felt a little bit like <laughs> it was a little strange. Um, but he kept texting me. Um, and I kind of did my research about him. And I found out like he is a pretty big deal in the, in the area. He's a uh, pretty good AAU coach. So I went to um, some AAU tournaments that year. Uh, honestly, I was kind of just making up as I go. I didn't really know anything about AAU. I know, I know going to America and uh, going to American college. kind of what you want to do because in canada you can't even get a full-ride scholarship for sports
0: exactly yeah
1: so going to america was kind of what i wanted to do um so i went that summer i went to um, an au trip a few au trips with that team um i picked up a few offers and then that's kind of right when i started to know like yeah i'm gonna i'm gonna play college basketball in america but it was all, it was a tough decision to decide to move down to IMG that year. Um, my AU coach, by town, uh, he knew, he knew some people that had IMG, like the director of basketball, um, Brian Nash. So he kind of had their at IMG. So he, uh, he contacted Brian he said, I have this guy, he's seven foot, he just started playing. Um, you guys should probably take a look at him and try to get him down to IMG. So that kind of that's how I got into IMG. Um,
0: and, and a lot of people don't realize about IMG that there's different teams, different levels. Yeah. You, you oh, know, at, at the time you were there, I think, uh, well, obviously, uh, Armando Baycott was there and you played against him this November uh, up at Bohegan Sun. Uh, yeah. I think Jeremiah Robinson Earl was there, if I'm not mistaken.
1: Then when they got for the Nationals, it was Jeremiah, Armando, yeah. Springer, um, Josh Green. Yeah. It was good.
0: What kind of competition? Um, yeah. How was that competition for you as you're starting to feel yourself improving slowly?
1: It's, it's weird. When you're, a lot of times when you're improving, I find like it's hard to, it's hard to like see improvement until you like go back to kind of where where you were. Like I went, I didn't feel like I was really improving all that much at that year at IMG. But that following year, I, played, I went back to play AAU and they, I remember like, The that year, the year before when I first started playing, I was really struggling to um, almost keep up with the people of my age group. And then that next summer after IMG, they they moved me up a year, and I still felt comfortable. Yeah, Um, kind of just stuff like that where it it really shows you um, the work that's doing. You kind of have to. Yeah, you also take like take it into context a little bit. Like for example, my last year. at college basketball, I kind of knew that I improved a lot. But, um, going back to play with Team Canada that, that last summer was something that really showed me. Because I remember playing, a much, playing against a bunch of those guys, um, seeing a bunch of their tape, and I knew, like, the year before I went to college, like they were, they were those guys were so much better than me. Like, I was, they would have ran circles around me. But then that next year, I kind of came back and I was one of the better players on that team. So, uh, just stuff like that that really shows you, like, the little I can really uh, almost quantify like the jumps you're taking because it's hard to really see it in yourself until you play against some of the competition that maybe was a little bit harder for you a few years ago.
0: Yeah, you know, a perfect example of what you're saying, when I talked to your coaches at IMG, they're all friends of mine, including Coach Nash. I've known him since he was a kid in Brooklyn. They all said when you got to IMG that you had a hard time guarding Armando. And yet when we did the game in November, you don't have to answer this, but he had a hard time guarding you. You know, and so yeah. that, that's kind of an example. And 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 everybody has a hard time guarding you, Zach. But the point is that kind of showed even your coaches at IMG how much how long you how far you've come.
1: For sure. I mean, yeah, he's yeah, when I first got the IMG, I was on they couldn't even put me on the the high level team. I was on the almost I was almost on J V back there, but right to be fair, that JV team had like three D1 players. But yeah, still
0: that's cool. That's really cool. All right. Um you know, I, I've, I've coached a long time, and, and now I watch games every day. Is it? And I'm going to ask you a dumb question before we talk about Purdue and the success you're having. Is it difficult to be seven three, seven four on a court? In other words, like you got to be careful about your elbows. You've got to, you know, the referees kind of look at you a little differently. How comfortable are you? You're obviously comfortable because you're you're playing so well. But how how difficult is it to be your size on a court with guys? banging the heck out of you
1: yeah i think it's um it's definitely harder that people realize um it's a lot of, you have to learn a lot of like very unique skills uh, when you're being like you have to learn how to finish through contact when dudes are like just smacking the heck out of you and you have to learn how to like, not get mad at the refs basically um because that's the worst thing you can do you don't ever want to you don't want to yell at a ref or show up
0: <laughs> right
1: you have to learn how to like do stuff like hook shots you have to um, it's a different type of it's almost like playing a different game uh, a little bit like uh, you have to run up and down the floor constantly hit dudes constantly push dudes box people out uh, play super physical um so it's just it's really it's it's like almost a complete different game of basketball when you're uh super tall especially in a league like the big 10 where they every team has a really good uh, big man so exactly
0: yeah What's it like uh, – you're kind of fortunate in the sense that you are going up against some guys your size many nights, you know, Kofi Coburn and obviously Hunter Dickinson. Does, it, does that make the game easier for you, that you're out there with guys that, you know, you're not, you're not picking up cheaper fouls against six, seven guys?
1: Yeah, I'd say um, it's definitely different. Uh, you have to kind of learn how to play against – you have to learn how to play against size, you have to learn how to play against – some of the little dudes who maybe can shoot the ball well are quicker stuff like that. Um, I think it was definitely harder for me to learn how to almost play against the smaller dudes, like little small, strong dudes that can just foul the heck of you and never, never gets called. But, um, it's, it's, just, it's a different experience. Um, when you're playing a size, it's a lot, a lot. Yeah. Like you said, the rest won't really, they'll let, let a lot more stuff go. because They're both big. You can both kind of take it. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I think playing against sizes is, is definitely different than playing against small people. And uh, you have to learn how to play against both to really be successful, especially in a league like ours.
0: Yeah. Well, you get to guard one of those smaller dudes every day in, in Travion Williams, even though he's you know he's not a small dude. But I before I ask you about Travion, I said on a broadcast that you reminded me of Yao Ming. And I don't know if you heard that or took it as a compliment, but he's obviously one of the greatest players. Of you know all time, do you have a player that you watch, or, or do the coaches have a player that they show you film of and say, and say you could be this? Or is your game so unique in college right now that there's really nobody that you can model yourself after?
1: Um, I say I personally just don't like to model my game after different people. Um, I know a lot of people do that. A lot of people take inspiration from people who've been really successful in basketball. Well, I kind of like to just look at stuff that's worked for me, um, and just try to work on that and improve on that. Uh, i I looked at guys for inspiration, like, uh, like Joel Embiid, because his, his story is pretty similar to mine, where he played a different sport all his life, got into basketball late, uh, moved to the States, I actually moved to the same state I was in, he moved to a rival high school of ours, uh, Montverde. And, um, that next year he went to Kansas. He was really good. Um went to the draft soon after, and then he's a really good center in the NBA. So I look at dudes like that kind of for their stories. And with Pascal Siak, dudes that really started basketball late and became late bloomers and became really good. Uh, but I'd say I take, I take some inspiration from like different people. Like I've looked at Joel Embiid. I've looked at um, guys like Tim Duncan, guys like uh, Jokic, uh, even guys like Valanciunas. like some guys I feel like are underappreciated. Um, kind of just look at how they deal with certain situations and how they uh, maybe make some certain moves on the block. But I kind of like I like to stick to what, what works with me um, because I obviously I'm a different person and different body than those people.
0: Exactly. Yeah. All right. So you had a choice. You started to get recruited. You started to show some improvement. You mentioned earlier about Coach Painter being directly brutally honest, which is what I love about the guy, you know, you're playing for one of the best coaches in the, in the, in college, obviously a hall of famer someday. What is it about Purdue and the development of, of, of guys over seven feet that a made you feel comfortable and B what's the secret sauce aside from your hard work, which we'll get into, because I know how much the coaches have talked about that, but what's the secret sauce at Purdue and Matt Painter with the development of bigger guys?
1: Um, Honestly, I couldn't tell you. I think they're, they're really experienced. They know how to run offense for big people, which is uh, huge. And in a practice, they really put an emphasis on um, really like feeding the post, getting the post man touches, get, getting us comfortable in the post. And um, we'll obviously do like specific post uh, breakdowns. Like every day, we'll do like probably about 20 minutes of just like post moves, post hooks, um, being physical, finishing through contact, stuff like that. But I don't think there's really, it really is any secret sauce. I think that's kind of what probably they've learned is that uh, there's nothing really special or secret or unknown about um, being a good big man. It's just really being strong, finishing through contact, playing through contact, um, making moves, being efficient in your moves, and stuff like that. is It's like a pretty well known things that they just pretty, they really harp on and they really uh, emphasize in every every day in practice.
0: T- t- take me take uh, let's expand on that when i watch you play sometimes on the court i can't tell whether you're a righty or a lefty because your left hand has gotten so good so take me inside that how much work how much development have you put in to where now you're kind of equally able to turn over in either shoulder
1: um yeah, It's definitely something i'm really focusing on um being making sure like all my reps are even with my right and left hand so i can finish with both comfortably um at the end of practice, I'll take about 200 shots, my right and left, like 100, 100 around. Um, just kind of get comfortable with it just so I can, it's almost like I don't have to think about taking hook shots. I just I just kind of do it almost. Um, I think that's a big thing about basketball is being really comfortable with all the things you do um, so you don't have to think about the things you're doing. So you can just kind of almost freestyle when you're out there so you don't have to worry about, oh, I have to, make sure I get my elbow up on this. I'd make sure my hand flicks here. You, just, you work on those things in practice. So you can just be kind of, um, it can be effortless in the game almost.
0: Do you feel like, you know, you mentioned how you surprise yourself sometimes, but you've obviously, I mentioned you put all this work in. Do you feel, uh, you know, I always felt like to develop a young big guy, they're mechanical at first and then it becomes second nature. Are you at the second nature stage of your game or are you still developing things that, can become less mechanical for you, if that makes sense.
1: Yeah, I'd say, um, I feel there's definitely a lot of areas where I feel kind of like, uh, like second nature to me, like, like just turning and hooking, getting my hook shots off, stuff like that has become uh, almost second nature to me. But, um, there's obviously tons of stuff I still need to work on, even getting comfortable doing it, like at all, like shooting jump shots, stuff like that, that I really, that um, aren't even like, stuff that I would feel comfortable in the game yet. But, um, like, yeah, I just, I know I just lot I need to work on, but yeah, definitely. I feel really comfortable when I get the ball low in the post yeah. uh, or low on the block.
0: How, how have you, um, how have you, uh, maneuvered all the different coverages you're seeing now? Like you're like a quarterback in football and someone's blitzing you. And you got to get rid of it, or you got to make your move. How comfortable are you getting now, recognizing like, okay, you know, Illinois is going to do this, or Michigan State's going to do this? Where are you in terms of reading, like, the defenses, as compared to maybe when you first started playing basketball, obviously, or when you first got to Purdue?
1: Yeah, honestly, I think I'm like light years ahead of when I first got to Purdue. That's something that's really been helped me out, uh, helped me out with just kind of passing out double teams, reading double teams. Uh, kind of knowing when the double team is going to come even before almost they send it or they even know. Um, stuff like uh, getting getting your, when the dude feeds it in from the close side, getting him far, as far away as possible so they can't really scrape down or double, like doing stuff like that. that uh, last year, I wouldn't even have th- thought to do. And then also the, the, kind of seeing the double team as it's coming makes it, uh, really helps you know who's open like where um so you can get it up hands quickly and then seeing also uh, dudes who are special at passing like Travion Williams uh, like dissecting a double team every day in practice stuff like that uh, makes it like it shows you what you kind of need to work on it shows you kind of how like he, he shows you like how to be great at doing this doing the type of stuff so I just trying to uh kind of emulate that as much as possible and, uh, learn as much as possible from uh, from him that I can.
0: You're making sure you find Sasha on the weak side to spot him right?
1: Yeah, I mean, I don't even have to look for Sasha. We have like Sasha, Isaiah, Ethan, Mason. Yeah, and then really anyone.
0: How much? You, how much have you learned from Trey Beyond? And how unique is it that you guys basically beat the hell out of uh, you know teams like every five minutes?
1: It's, it's definitely something um, that helps us both out a lot. Obviously, playing against someone who's uh, tired or in foul trouble all game is, makes the uh, game a lot easier. And then also, like, not giving people uh, possessions off or stretches off. Like, teams know when they play us, they're going to have to play post-defense for 40 minutes straight. They're going to have to try to push out our catches for 40 minutes straight. They're going to have to try to deny the post for 40 minutes straight. And they're also going to have to, like, really uh, play physical for 40 minutes straight. And that's, that's like a different type of tiredness, a different type of, like, endurance. Um, you can't really get that from just running around on a track, for example.
0: How has he made you better? Because he's not as big. He's a big guy, obviously. But how has he made you better having to guard him? And, and honestly, how have you made him better? Because he was a really good player before you ever got to Purdue.
1: Yeah, I think um, we both definitely made each other a lot better. Uh, we pushed each other in practice every day. Um, I think he's made me better, but just kind of, like I said, I, when I first got here, I really struggled to play against people who are smaller than me, but like really strong, for example. That's, that's what he is. He's, um, he's a really strong dude. Uh, he can really get into my legs when uh, I'm posting up and stuff like that. So just learning to play against him, him in practice really helped me out with stuff like that. Uh, and then obviously him looking at him while he makes post moves, while he does all that, all that stuff, um, really helped me. And then I think I helped him by just kind of uh, like, I'm a I'm the biggest dude in the big 10 it's, if he can, I think it's a lot of, he's told me this before, like he said, like, he, if I can score on you, I can score on anyone. Like you're the big dude, you're one of the strongest dudes. Like he, he gives him a lot of confidence. And then um, obviously he gives me a lot of confidence. So we're, we kind of work off each other like that. There's,
0: there's got to be times when you're on the bench watching him and he scores over somebody and you go, that's like taking a 30-pound weight vest off of him because he doesn't have to score over you.
1: Yeah, for sure. I mean, he just definitely gives him a lot of confidence just going into his moves.
0: Yeah. All right. We talked about Matt Painter earlier. What makes Coach Painter? Uh, the coach he is because he, you're a, you're Exhibit A really with your improvement. So, what is it about Coach Painter that you feel like makes him the great coach he is?
1: I think just like I was saying earlier, like it's just his brutal honesty. Um, he's never gonna promise you anything that he doesn't know. Like he doesn't, he'll never promise me, oh, you're gonna, you're gonna play twenty minutes, you're gonna play thirty minutes, you're gonna play fifteen minutes. He's, he's just really just about. Production. Like if you're productive, you're gonna play. If he feels that like you're having an impact on the game, you're gonna play. Um, at the same time, if he feels like you're not productive, you're not going to play. It doesn't matter who you are. Um, doesn't matter kind of what the media says about you, stuff like that. He just he forms his own opinions on our on each player on our team, and he'll play you or won't play you based off of those based off of those. Um, he sticks to his guns a lot. I mean. He's just really about winning basketball. If you're if you're a player who he feels that can impact winning basketball, and he has trust in you, he's gonna you're gonna see a lot of success here.
0: Yeah, well, you're you're fortunate in that regard because he is one of the best. When I saw you guys early, in the back of my mind, I thought, you know, these guys might even actually be able to go might be able to go undefeated. Now, obviously, that's not the case. College basketball is too competitive. But where's an area? that your team has to get better in order for you to be playing, let's say in the Final Four in April.
1: Mm. Um it would be kind of our our buy-in for all 40 minutes. I think we we're a really good we're a team that can play really good for 10 minutes. We're a team that can play really good for 15 minutes. But um if we if we're a team that really can buy in for 40 straight minutes, I don't think there's anyone in the country that can beat us. Um, where we can go on those big runs where we'll just randomly rattle off a 20-0 run, for example. And then we'll have those spurts where we can't score the ball and the other team is getting easy looks. So really just uh, locking in for 40 minutes straight is um, is something that's really key for us. And um, we'll kind of determine the amount of success we have in this season.
0: Got it. All right. Well, I'm I'm a big fan of of the way you guys play. So, and, and your league is a tough league, so it's hard to go undefeated. All right. Few more things because this is world of basketball, so I got to ask you about under nineteen world championships, kind of a coming out party for you for Jaydn Ivy, uh, Chet Holmgren. It's it was it, it. What did that experience? You were all tournament in Estonia at the world uh, championships under nineteen, a big FIBA deal. What was that experience like for you from a confidence level?
1: Um, it was it was definitely big. Um, kind of coming. From that Olympic team that I was playing with, that I was practicing with, and uh, kind of taking that confidence to so that, I almost made the Olympic team, and then playing in the United um, was it was a big confidence booster right from the get-go. Almost, um, I knew there was going to be great players in that league, but I kind of I just like to play basketball. I don't really like like to look at people's like what what they're supposed to be, what they are. Stuff like that. I just like to uh, play basketball against them and form my own opinions. So uh, from a confidence standpoint, it was big because after, after you play them, obviously you can look at them and you say, wow, this guy's supposed to be drafted here. This guy's supposed to play here. This guy is, has this this amount of uh, kind of like hype around him. Um, but at the end of the day, it's really just basketball. Um, it does a lot for your confidence that you can go into a, that I went into a tournament like that now perform the way I did, especially, like I said, when, when, in years past, um, I didn't even make the Canada team. Like they, they cut me a few times. So
0: <laughs> that's right. I remember that. That was like your first experience, right? Uh, after, after, uh, Vidal discovered you, I think you tried out for a Canadian team the next spring.
1: Yeah, that was, <laughs> that, that was a mess. Um, I remember it was kind of like my first time doing like stuff like that. I was, yeah, it was bad. My first time I was homesick. Um, I re- didn't really feel like going away. I kind of didn't want to, um, I didn't want to do all that. Um, so I think they, they, for sure they might've taken me, but they would have just given me like a complete sit on the bench and watch type role. Uh, and then that it's come, they, they cut me all together. So going from that and the two years jumping to to being alternate team on um and leading our team to our second ever medal in that event was, um, it was definitely something that was really cool and definitely something that boosted my confidence going into the college season.
0: Yeah. I don't think you're going to get cut anymore. That's my, that's my, that's my uh, insight. Now I, I put the cart before the horse because before you went to Estonia with the under 19 team, you were with coach nurse and the Canadian uh, Olympic qualifying team. And so tell me here you are with some NBA guys, European players or great Canadian players. What was that experience like? And that, I, I know you just said it gave you confidence going into the under nineteens. But what was that experience like for you to know that you were, you know, right there in making that team? Because I know Coach Nurse, from what I could tell, had a difficult decision because they were really impressed with how you played.
1: Yeah, it was. Um, it was definitely a big confidence booster, kind of seeing those guys. Like there was like huge name guys. There like R.J. Barrett. Um, Andrew, Andrew Wiggins, Kelly Olenek, Dwight Powell, Trey Lyles, um, stuff, dudes like that where Corey Joseph, who are like seasoned NBA guys, um, and going there and kind of realizing like, okay, this is the level they play at. Like this this is this is where I need to kind of get to. You know what I mean? And then also realizing that it's not like, like they're just still playing basketball. Like it's not like they're playing, like they're not, they're not out there just 360 windmilling on windmilling on each other like they're still just out there passing the ball cutting making layups hitting freeze like stuff like that like I, that we still like that we work on in our practices they were still doing that stuff so seeing that and being in that having that experience was uh, definitely a confidence booster and definitely something that was really cool and then also having guys like, uh, like kelly Olynyk and guys like andrew nicholson who were there kind of helping me out um giving me some tips, giving me some pointers, and then um, that I could take going into the season as well.
0: How, now that you've made it, so, to, you know, I don't, when I say you've made it, you obviously have so much w- way to go as far as improvement, but now that you've been on, you're on the Canadian basketball map, how much pride are you going to have over the next few years of being, having the opportunity to represent team Canada?
1: Uh, it's, it's huge. I mean, um Playing, playing in the Olympics, playing in the qualifying games, playing in the World Cups. Um, it's not many people get to say that they they can do that. Not many people get to say that they can represent their country playing the sport they uh, they love. So um, it's really it's really cool. It's especially like I don't really I don't really like like think of stuff like that, but when when you really take a step back and you think about it like that it's really cool to be one of the, one of the best players at your sport in the country. So. Yeah.
0: Well, listen, you're not going to stop working from whatever everybody tells me you're going to keep working. And uh, I think you are going to represent team Canada and Zach, keep up the great work. We love watching your development. You're a great story. You're kind of an inspiration for young, young, big guys, honestly, who, you know, it takes a little while sometimes for a guy to get his feet under him and you're doing great. And, Got so much more to improve on, but you're already uh, a terrific player. So we appreciate you being on World of Basketball this morning.
1: Thanks for having me.
0: Well, we told you that uh, Zach Eady's a special young man, and I think you can tell from just that uh, great interview with him. And right now what I want to do is bring on uh, one of my really good friends, uh, a dear friend, and one of college basketball's best um, journalists, without a doubt, uh, Mike DeCoursey is going to chime in a little bit here on Zach Eady. Mike, thanks for joining us on World of Basketball Podcast. We just had a delightful conversation with Zach Eady. And uh, as someone who is a national correspondent for Sporting News and Big Ten Network basketball expert, you probably have as much insight on watching this young man's improvement as anybody. What have you seen over the short year and a half from Zach Eadie that probably most surprises you?
2: Well, I I think what most impresses me, it's hard to know what surprises you because when you get a player as uncommon, and and perhaps the word unique is not an overstatement, a player as uncommon as Zach, uh, you don't know what to expect. So it's hard to be surprised. So, But what impresses me about him is that His mobility is, I don't, it's, it's really impressive. I I didn't see him as a high school player, so I don't know how much it's improved, Uh, but his mobility is really impressive for a player of that size. He doesn't move like someone who's seven, four, that, that he moves like someone who is obviously very tall, uh, you know, a, a a true, you know, a seven footer, uh, but you know, he moves really well, and I think that will serve him well as he attempts to play uh, professional basketball. We've seen really tall players uh, who did not, you know, who did not have that ability to to cover ground that he does, and 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 maybe struggle a little bit to to make an impact at the NBA level. Uh, but he's he's far more than just an extraordinarily tall player.
0: What is it about him? And this is a very obvious question, but I, I, I know you can dig into this. What is it about him that allows him to affect a college basketball game the way he does?
2: Well, I think that it's as simple as a picture of him playing against Kofi Coburn. Kofi a massive human being, seven feet or close or close to it. They, they list him at seven. I'm not sure. You know, I'd have to stand next to him to know, uh, to have some idea, but he's, they list him at seven feet. So if he's not, he's certainly in the neighborhood and he weighs 285 pounds. He's massive. And he stands next to Kofi and he looks small. He looks like me standing up next to a, a a six, five shooting guard with, you know, I'm five, eight, that's what it looks like. And, and so when you, when you have that physical advantage uh, it it's it it can't help but impact the game. Now again, how much it impacts the game is dependent on how you develop your skill, and also that that factor I talked about initially. It, how mobile are you? Uh, uh, there are, there have been players who've impacted the game. Mark Eaton's a good example because of their size, uh, and and mostly their size. And obviously, Mark developed some significant skill to go with that but his size was the number one consideration. I think Yao Ming was an, a, a new generation, a next iteration of what Mark Eaton brought to the game. Uh, but I, I, I don't know, you know, I'd have to see an agility drill or something like that, but it looks to me like Zach is even more mobile uh, than a player like, like Yao Ming was. I see more movement there. And in today's NBA, uh, that, you know, that's an essential ingredient. It's hard to survive in that league with, you know, as a, you know, as a really tall player with good skill that you plant under the basket. It has to be more than that. Uh, Um, as far as his college, when you have that size and that skill, and he really is good, he he catches the ball really well. And that's, you know, some people might think that sounds like a pretty rudimentary skill, but it's not, I mean, you know, this Fran, Catching the ball is a is a really important skill. He 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 fields entry passes really cleanly. Uh, he's got great hands. Uh, he's really good uh, fundamentally at keeping the ball high. And, and, you know, he can hold it at his waist and it'd be high, but I mean keeping it up above his shoulders so that it's not easily in reach of other players, especially smaller players. He's really good at keeping it high. And he understands how to use the leverage that goes with his uncommon strength. Uh, And, and, and he's, he's got that, he's got a nice touch around the goal. And, and it's, and when you're as big as that having a nice touch is really a challenge because you're so close to it, 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 that you can overpower the basket if you don't develop that. So all that goes into why he's so effective and such a challenge for everybody that plays against him.
0: It's probably fitting that he told us uh, maybe the ha- reason for the good hands was he was a first baseman as a youngster. So that <laughs> a lot to do. why is Matt Painter the ideal coach for, Co- for, for, for Zach Eady?
2: Well, I think that, it, that I'm not sure where it began. I couldn't pinpoint it. I, I'd have to, to look it up, but at some point pro- probably within the last 10 years, it, it kind of became the place to go if you were a big guy. Uh, we've, ha- we've seen a series of really talented big players go through uh, Purdue, and, and it's, it's made a difference uh, for each of them. We've seen uh, so many players that have had effective careers. And, and I, you know, I, I think when, when, when you're a big guy now uh, and, and Matt Painter calls, you know, he can point to the success of players like AJ Hammons and Isaac Haas. And, and you, if you don't pay attention to that, then you're, you know, you're kind of selling yourself short. You're not, you are know, not giving your, it doesn't mean that every single big guy has to go play for uh, for Matt Painter, but I think you have to pay some attention to what he's telling you and give yourself the chance to at least hear him out because he's had such great success with all those players And obviously, uh, Travion Williams was already on the roster when Zach became available and became interested. And that's had an impact on how the two of them have played uh, in the last two years. Uh, They shared time and it's it's made both of them as, as a combination. It's made Purdue as overwhelming at the center spot as any college team we've seen recently.
0: Mike, we really appreciate your expertise in in this area on Zach Eady and and uh, Purdue basketball, and we we cannot thank you enough.
2: You bet, friend. Anytime.
0: Thanks to uh, Mike DeCourcy and Zach Eady for this week's World of Basketball podcast. Canada is on the ascent. Uh, I failed to mention at the in my uh, opening monologue another uh, great guest we've had on Kyle Wilcher. Another. Gonzaga Zach and, um, a guy that is part of that national team program. And I think you'll see Zach Eady playing on the Olympic team for Canada and the the national team in the, in the near future. I know that's a big thing is that they qualify and, uh, we we wish him luck as they qualify for 2024 Paris. And that's a, it's, it's big, uh, my friends up North, uh, basketball is becoming, uh, you know, it's becoming a hotbed. So thanks very much, uh, to, to Zach today. All right. Well, uh, if you like what we're doing, remember, subscribe wherever you get your podcast, uh, download that XM, SXM app uh, so you can get any of the previous 70 shows that we've recorded. And uh, as we do every week, and even though I'm in the midst of a lot of travel, a lot of great college basketball I'm covering, you can bet that I have time next week to bring you to another place in my world of basketball. World of Basketball is part of the Sirius XM Podcast Network. The executive producer is Chris Tyler. Sound design by Robert Moore. A special thanks to Sirius XM, Senior Vice President of Sports Programming and Podcasting, Steve Cohen. Sirius
1: XM Podcasts.